Well, I, I hope you've all watched the safety briefing video because we are going to continue uh, our helicopter ride over the letters of the New Testament. Um, and I introduced our co-pilot last week, Brother Warren Wearsby, and his very helpful series of B commentaries on the different letters. Uh, and I was delighted that one of our online viewers this week uh, just this morning sent me a 1,265-page PDF of the entire New Testament, including Philemon, which uh, I said I hadn't been able to track down. So uh, <clears throat> the idea is, Brother Warren Wearsby, he, he used one word to try to capture the essence of each particular letter. Uh, and I, th I just think they're very, very helpful. Um, so we did Romans last week, which was be right. How to be in right relationship with God. What I'm hoping you'll do is you'll just, in your Bible, over beside Romans, just be right. And then I give a key verse. Uh, and the key verse from Romans was Romans 1 verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And I was so conscious during our time there, uh, in our breaking of bread time, you know, that it's just all about our trust in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And just the idea I had in my head was just that the Lord might feel our collective weight this morning, just leaning into his provision for us in Christ, our absolute dependence on him for this salvation. Nothing else, no one else, just in his provision in Jesus Christ. That's how a person is made right with God, just by taking up God's provision for them in Christ. So Romans was be right, Romans 1.17. And then we did 1 Corinthians, and it was be wise. And I only learned this morning that Warren Wearsby also gives a key verse for each of his uh, books as well. I, I didn't know that. And we agreed on Romans, but we have a different one on 1 Corinthians um, but not too dissimilar. It was 1 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, and you got it, we looked a bit at the chaos that was uh, in the Corinthian church last week. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. And last week, it was very much looking at how the wisdom of the world, the world's way of thinking and being, was just in the Corinthian church. You know, the, the water was in the boat. It wasn't just the boat was in the water. And we looked at the, the chaos that unfolded in the Corinthian church. We live by a heavenly wisdom, a spirit-given wisdom, which is the opposite of how this world works. So, if you want to take a look out of your window, we're now approaching 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, the little title that 
Wearsby gave to it? Well, it's actually a strange one. If you were to take the time to read 2 Corinthians, and that, of course, is the objective of this, that it will stimulate you to spend time in the Bible, the title that he has given it is Be Encouraged. Be Encouraged. And you could be forgiven for thinking that that is actually a strange title. For this reason, this book, this letter, is absolutely crammed full of, is overflowing with suffering. It just confronts the reader at every turn. Now, I'm not going to give you the key verse at the start this time. I'm going to give you it at the end because I want us to get the sort of, I want us to survey the terrain and just see some of the sort of jagged edges that we're flying over. Because the letter begins, Paul sets out his stall in chapter 1, the sort of middle verses there, by reminding the Corinthians of a time for him when his experience of suffering in following in his service for God was so intense, so severe, that he actually says, we despaired of life itself. Now, can you get a more powerful phrase than that to describe you're just completely gone, you're out of your depth, so intense is the suffering that, you know, ah, life, well, I don't mind if it's over. That's what he was saying. That's how it begins. But of course, 2 Corinthians is sort of famous for its passages where Paul gives us these really graphic descriptions of what it meant to be the Apostle Paul. You'll recognize some of these uh, statements. Let me read some to you. Chapter 4, verse 8. This is his description of the apostolic lot. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Now listen to this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's strong stuff, isn't it? Come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. You'll have money in the bank. You'll not need to see the GP for years. It's all rosy stuff. Go over to chapter 11. This is probably the the best known I love this passage. Every so often, um, I get dragged into things where uh, people are being interviewed for, um, you know, positions in in Christian work, I'm talking now. Um, And, you know, the world's way of doing things is, you know, well, you know, why are you the right person for this? Tell us about yourself, you know, basically list your achievements. I love Paul's CV. 
I love it. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 23. He's explaining that he's engaging in a bit of boasting now. You see, his opponents at Corinth, claiming to be super apostles, you know, claiming all these great experiences and all boasting, Paul says, okay, I'll play your game. I'll engage in a bit of boasting myself. Uh, Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? It's his opponents. I'm out of my mind to talk like this, right? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Be encouraged, says Wearsby. What? That's encouraging, is it? And then... A verse you'll know. Go over to chapter 12, verse 7. See, his opponents were talking about the great visions that they'd had as well, you know, that they could bring people into and thrill them with. And Paul says, yeah, I I had visions as well. And caught up to the third heaven. It's not lawful for me to talk about them, but let me tell you what did happen when I had these exalted visions. Because of these, verse 7 of chapter 12, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the point. Though suffering is a reality for anyone who will serve God, anyone, not just apostles, anyone who will serve God, you will encounter hardship. Yet, says Paul, God's grace is sufficient for us in the suffering that comes our way. 
through our loyalty to God. How poignant is that in light of what we have been thinking about in Sudan this morning? We take encouragement. Wearsby's right. We take encouragement. Paul asks and answers his own question in this letter. He talks about the privilege of being a servant of the new covenant. This great relationship between God and man, written in the blood of Christ, whereby God will take us on in salvation, forgive us our sins, put his spirit within us, and transform us. And he says, you know, who is equal for such a task? Who is equal for it? Chapter 2, verse 16. And then he gives us the answer in chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence, our sufficiency for this task comes from God through the Spirit. So I'm going to ask you the question I ask myself. Do you want to be true to God and to live your life as he desires in this world? Is that what you want? Well, it will be tough. It will be demanding. And it will take you far beyond any reserves of strength that you think you have just lying there in your personality. It will require resources that are only found in God's provision for you. But don't be discouraged. For God's power is available in our weakness. That is the message of 2 Corinthians. And God's power is only available in our weakness. If you've got it covered, God's power is not required. I know 40 years down the line, I know. I ain't got what it takes to serve God in this world in the resources that are in Jeff McElrath. I can only make it through accessing in my weakness the provision that God has for me in Christ by the Spirit. So here's our key verse. And it comes... In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not buckle to discouragement. Though outwardly we're wasting away. There you are. Outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Who's sufficient for it? Our sufficiency is from God. That daily renewal by his spirit. That's how we cope. So that's 2 Corinthians. And next we come to a slightly shorter letter to Galatians. And I have to say that Brother Wearsby and myself agree on the key verse this time. 
It's not going to be difficult if you read Galatians at all, guys. By the way, you'll read it in 15 minutes, you know, slowly. Um, be free. Be free. Let me give you the, the, the key verse straight up, and then we'll, we'll say some things about it. This is a wonderful verse. We've actually been singing about it this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is the one I want you to be free. Write it at the top. 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Be free, believer. Now, I think it's fair to say that Paul's letter to the Galatians is universally acknowledged as the most confrontational of all his letters in the New Testament. The Corinthian correspondence, sharp enough. But there is a note of outrage and exasperation throughout the letter to the Galatians. It's quite striking if you read all Paul's letters. What do you get near the start? Well, you, invariably you get Paul giving thanks to God for the readers. For God's work in their lives. For their progress in the faith. For the fruit of their witness. He just delights to thank God for them. Not here. Chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ we'll see where they're going he's going in a minute this letter comes from a very deep place of vexation in the apostle Paul because of what has happened in the church at Galatia this is the letter where Paul anathematizes his opponents and any who follow in their wake. What does that mean? What does it mean to anathematize someone? Well, it means to, to just deliver them over to the judgment of God. You see, they come in among the Christians. They were teaching a different gospel. And Paul says in chapter 1 in those abrasive verses, you see if someone comes to you and preaches any other message than the message that you've already heard that I have preached, this message of faith in Christ by God's grace salvation, let him be accursed, devoted to destruction. And he doesn't just say it once. He says that and then he says, let me just underline this. If anyone comes, preaches another message, let him be accursed. Twice he says it. He calls these people who have come in among them men pleasers, chapter 1, verse 10. They're, they're, they're giving a message that they know people want to hear. In chapter 2, verse 4, he just outright calls them false believers. They ain't the real thing. 
he describes them in chapter 5, verse 9, as leaven in the midst, a corrupting influence in the church. He calls them agitators in chapter 12, verse, chapter 5, verse 12. They're just there to stir up trouble. And then, I think actually it's the most shocking verse in the New Testament. Comes in Galatians. Paul taunts them and says, you know, I wish you'd go the whole way with your teaching, guys. You're saying that circumcision is necessary for people who have faith in Christ. I wish you'd go and emasculate yourselves. Now, I guarantee you that has just made you sit up. And that's in the word of God. He calls the Galatians to their face by letter. Fools. Chapter 3, verse 1. Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who's put you under a spell? Who's, how, have they, how have you fallen for this? Now, this confrontational letter, you know, the, the language that Paul uses, the tactics that he employs, it, it begs the question, why? You know, why are the gloves off in Galatians? What is it that just digs so deep into the Apostle Paul that he, he explodes with holy rage? Well, the answer is that the very gospel itself is at stake in the church at Galatia. False teachers were teaching a gospel of grace and works. Faith in Christ was fine. They weren't saying Jesus is not the Messiah. They weren't saying that. They weren't saying go and worship another God. They weren't saying that. But faith was a good starting point. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The works of the law had to be added to faith for you to maintain your standing among the people of God. Circumcision. Sabbath keeping. Observance of the Old Testament food laws. They are all binding upon any who would want to be in right relationship with God. Paul says, do not fall for it. Do not allow yourself with this freedom you have in Christ through God's grace. Don't allow yourselves to be trailed back into bondage. And again and again in the letter, Paul upholds the sufficiency of faith in Christ and his redeeming work. It requires no addition. In fact, to add to it is actually to subtract from it. If it needs something added to it, it's incomplete. It's not perfect. 
And Paul says, it is absurd to try to add to what God has done in Christ for us. And he pushes their teaching to its logical conclusion. Now here's a verse you need to know. You need to have this marked and memorized. There are a lot of people out there who are confused about Christianity. And they think that, that Christianity is some sort of mix of faith and works. So have this in your arsenal. Chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness, a right standing with God, could be gained through the law and the works of the law, then what? Pure logic. Drive them to the conclusion. Then Christ died for nothing. If you could secure your own salvation, what a travesty Calvary was. He asks them in chapter 3, the start of chapter 3, he says, let's consider the supreme blessing of the new covenant. The fact that God indwells his people by the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit? He asked them. By the works of the law? No, by faith. Just by trusting in Christ. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives you life, who animates you, who empowers you to live a new life. That wasn't anything to do with the works of the law. He goes on in chapter 3. He says, this great inheritance that we have as the people of God. How, how did you come into possession of that inheritance? Through the law? Uh-uh. It was the promise made to Abraham. That in Abraham's seed, all would be blessed. The law? Sure came centuries later. No, it's by being, by having faith You're in Christ. You you are Abraham's seed. Through faith in Christ. Nothing to do with the law. But Galatians is a wonderfully balanced letter. Christians are not under the law. Yeah, Don't get drawn into that. Law keeping to earn merit and accrue. Some sort of move towards no 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 but do not think that christians are lawless absolutely not it's not the wild west for christians well i'm free that's not what freedom is sinners are not justified before god by the works of the law but by god's grace through faith in christ but The grace that saves is also the grace that transforms. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, believers are enabled to resist the works of the flesh and are able to fulfill the law of Christ. Chapter 6, verse 2. It's in Galatians we have that beautiful passage about the fruit of the Spirit. 
against which there is no law. The Spirit is in control and grows the fruit of God in our character, which then impacts our conduct. It is impossible to have saving grace without having transforming grace. Someone who thinks they can come to Christ, receive forgiveness to live as they please, they have not received saving grace. Absolutely not. Because the grace that saves transforms progressively, over time, but absolutely. I recommend you regularly read the letter of Galatians, for it will help us all remain fresh in our understanding of the truth of the gospel, like Romans, that it's purely by faith, but it will also remind us that all who place their faith in Christ at the same time move under his lordship. And through the spirit that is given to all who believe in Christ, fruit is produced in our lives. If there is no fruit in the life, I suggest you work back. Because if God moves into a life, his presence shows up. We're going to do two and stop at that. We'll take up again the next time. But uh, just let me encourage you to, here's something you need to do with the letters. I know nobody receives letters anymore, but in the time, if, if, you, if you can remember what it was like to receive a letter, how many of you would say, well, I'll read the first paragraph now, and in my Time tomorrow morning, I'll read the next paragraph. and I'll be, Or worse still, I'll just scan down through it and see if there's a line I particularly like. You know, you don't read letters like that, folks. So I really recommend, particularly with the likes of Galatians, it does take 15 minutes, but you get the sweep. You see the terrain. And you become more of a Bible person as a result. And if we truly are Bible people, it'll affect life reality that way let's pray thank you for listening to this castlereagh fellowship podcast for more podcasts bible teaching videos and to see what's going on at the church please visit our website castlereaghfellowship.com god bless